you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. For the third week in a row, we're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. As we mentioned last week, if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can open your Bible or your apps to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, this is our final week on our series on the mission of Trinity. We've been looking at our mission statement, which is as follows. Trinity Fellowship Church desires to glorify God by equipping a community of believers to worship God and be witnesses of Him in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. We talked about what it means to be a community of believers We talked last week about what worship is, and this morning we're going to be talking about uh, the fact that we are witnesses of Him, witnesses of Christ, witnesses of God here in central Arkansas and to the ends of the earth. One thing that you will not hear me be mentioning much this morning, and uh, I want to give a caveat reason why, it's not that it's not important. Um, but um, for the amount of time that we have, uh, what I'll be focusing on this morning is not so much foreign missions. Foreign missions is very important to us. We support several foreign missionaries, but most people here this morning are not foreign missionaries. So I'm speaking to us, uh, for us, our witness, what we are called to do. God may call some from our congregation to some place overseas to do missions, and that would be great. But for the majority of us, He has called us here. So how do we, uh, being called here, uh, witness for Him? But before we get into that, my wife and I, um, actually, I and my wife, uh, she, uh, she entertains this. I, I, 
Every year, what I like to do is watch uh, a movie marathon. It's the Lord of the Rings. Not just the regular edition, but it's the extended edition. Um, it is one of the few movies that I own, and I enjoy those movies immensely. Uh, we just got done uh, this past week watching the entire 12 hours of uh, those movies. And the movies start off like this. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. And they go on about telling of the forging of these rings of power and of the great ring and how the great ring is lost and generations go by and it falls out of memory. Well, as I was thinking about uh, us as witnesses, um, this quote came to mind because what we are finding ourselves in now is a world that is changed. We find ourselves more and more in the midst of a mission field where we never dreamed one would actually exist. According to a Barna study that was done in 2007, so that was seven years ago even, there is somewhere around 100 million unchurched people here in the United States. Now, according to my calculations, that's about a third of the population. And by unchurched, I mean people who uh, do not regularly attend, who have no church affiliation. Um, and so that is a third of our population, or at least it was back in 2007. Not only are there less and less Christians here in the United States, but the influence of Christianity is rapidly diminishing. Greg raised a prayer request for our leaders this morning and for our nation. Um, and we need to be in constant prayer for our leaders and for our nation. And when I talk about the influence of Christianity, uh, it goes beyond just prayer in public schools, uh, whether or not courtrooms should display the Ten Commandments. We as a nation no longer operate from the standpoint of a Christian worldview. We may say in our pledge that we are one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Our currency may state, in God do we trust. Our declaration of independence may even state that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But how can we say these, that we believe this statement when in reality a majority of our citizens don't even believe in a Creator? We still have churches on almost every corner, especially here in the south. Uh, from the 15-minute drive that we have from Jacksonville to Sherwood, um, I, we probably drive past a handful of churches, uh, at least a half a dozen, I would say. But the influence of the church is diminishing and is diminishing at an astonishing rate. Uh, there's a book that I'm reading right now. It's called Everyday Church by Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. And in that, they, quote, they have this quote. They say, The Bible no longer has authority in public discourse. 
And I will have to say these guys are uh, from the UK, so they're coming at this from a perspective of the United Kingdom, but I think it applies to us as well. It says, the Bible no longer has authority in public discourse. The church no longer has a privileged voice. Church leaders still get invited to state occasions, but on matters of ethics, they are ignored. When the Pope visited the United Kingdom in 2010, he was greeted with all the pomp and ceremony as a head of state. But when it comes to his views on abortion and homosexuality, he is ignored by politicians and ridiculed by the media. If this is the context that we are living in right now, if this is the context that we find ourselves raising our children, and I believe that it is, how does this affect our witness for Christ? How does this affect who we are? But before we get into the how of our witness, how we should be witnessing for God, let's start with the why. Why should we be concerned about being witnesses? We talked last week about the fact that we are created for worship. We, we quoted the, the first question and answer of our catechism that says, what is the chief end of man? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We have been created for the worship of God. But not only that, we have also been created to be witnesses. Genesis 1 verse 28 says this, And God blessed them, meaning the male and the female, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He called humanity to multiply. Now, when I was in Kenya during college, uh, when I was studying there for a semester, there was something that I noticed that was everywhere, and it was kind of a surprise to me. Everywhere you went, whether you were in a classroom, whether you were in a public building, there was the picture of the president. He was everywhere. You could not go anywhere without seeing the picture of then-president Daniel Moy. It was just everywhere you looked, it seemed like there was the picture of the president. Um, it was an honor to have him, to have his image multiplied throughout the country. The same is true of us as God's image. It's an honor to God to have his image, us, human beings, multiplied throughout his world. It is honoring and glorifying to God to multiply him, his image, throughout his kingdom. God created us to multiply so that we might bring him honor and glory. Later on, Jesus, as he is about to ascend to heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he prepares his disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this call to witnesses wasn't simply aimed at the disciples, it is for us today. It wasn't that the disciples were a special group of individuals as we were, uh, have been going through the book of Luke, which we will return to next week, we saw who the disciples are. 
They're ordinary individuals that God called. What makes them special is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells them that they will receive power when the Spirit comes on them. And we, like the disciples, have that power, that Holy Spirit in us. So we talked last week the fact that we are worshipers. We're created to give honor and glory to God. As a result of the fall, our worship is not always directed where it should be. The object of our worship often changes. We worship created things rather than creator. Well, the same is true of our witness. As we've seen, God created us in His image. He created us to multiply, to be witnesses of Him. But as a result of our fall into sin, our, our witness is affected. We don't stop being witnesses, but the object of our witness changes. So how do we live out being witnesses of God, especially here in our current context in 2014 in the United States of America, in Sherwood, Arkansas? How do we live out this calling to be witnesses? Well, first of all, let me tell you where it's not. And then I'll explain it after a little while. The answer is not in church programs. Look at what the early church was doing in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They were doing all things together, learning from the apostles, breaking bread, praying with each other. They were sharing their belongings. They were worshiping together, eating in each other's homes. They were living life together. And verse 47 tells us what God did through that. He says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So you notice what the early church did not do. They didn't say to themselves, You know what? In order to reach people, we have got to have an evangelism program. We have got to get together and have this great curriculum and train people And we've got to go out then and be witnesses. That's not what they did. What they simply did is they lived their life together according to the gospel. And God added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Now there's nothing against evangelism curriculums and training in evangelism. We need that. Because, let's be honest, we're probably weak in that area. Um... But if we think that if we get just the right evangelism curriculum, just the right training, then we will be uh, proper witnesses for God, then we've missed the point. Often what the church does is we get stuck in these ruts of what we think will bring people in, uh, what will be effective witnessing tools. Uh, The church thinks that if we simply improve the product that we offer on a Sunday morning, then people will flock in. So what churches do is we use better media or or we uh, have better music. Uh, We have hired Heath recently. Um, So we, um, we have tried to improve our music. But the reason that we've done that is not so that people would flock in. It's to improve our worship. People try to have relevant sermons. They do dramas and media, and I'm not against those things. I don't want you to hear that. 
where we think that if we meet in some sort of uh, cool venue like a, a pub or a cultural center or a, a, an art studio, that people will be attracted and then flock to the church. But the problem is, is that most people simply have no intention of going to a church on Sunday morning. So if we offer this better product to them, it won't matter. They still won't come. And as a church, we can easily evaluate ourselves and say, well, we're not falling into those traps, and I agree with that. But we fall into the trap of thinking if we create just the right program, people will start coming, maybe even non-Christians as well. If we get the right pastor and surround him with the right staff, then people in our community will start, uh, start coming into our church. What I don't want you to hear is that programs are not effective. We have VBS, and there are people in here, in our church, who have come to our church through VBS. But what I'm saying is that if we think that simply offering an event or creating a program is going to bring people in, if that's going to be our witness, then we're kidding ourselves. Instead, our mission, our witness, needs to take place in the context of our everyday lives. Because lost people are simply not just flocking into our churches. We must go out to the lost because the lost are not coming to us. We need to do church in, the, in a mission, in a context of everyday life. We can't think of mission as an event that takes place in a building. Of course, there will be, continue to be a role for special events. Uh, but the bedrock of our mission, of our witness, needs to be simply ordinary life in the context of our daily lives. On Tuesday mornings in our men's group, one of the things we've been talking about is vocation and this calling that God has on each and every one of our lives. This fact that we have created a, a distinction, uh, whether on purpose or not, but we've created a distinction between the sacred and the secular, and it greatly hinders our witness. We think that what happens here on a Sunday morning is actually more important, that that is sacred. But what happens at work or at home on a Monday, that's secular. That's secondary. When we're at church or doing things for the church, that's sacred work. But when we're at home with our families, you know, that's different. That's secular time. Whether we state that or not, that's often how we live our lives. This translates into things that are done for the church are truly important, while things done the rest of the week just simply aren't quite as important. And if we think this way, it does several things to harm our ability as witnesses. First of all, it makes what we do from Monday to Saturday seem like it's not that big of a deal. Isn't the time spent from Monday to Saturday actually the majority of our lives? That's six out of seven days. God didn't design us to only engage in important activity on one day, in one place. All of life is worship and all of our lives are witness. And this dichotomy causes us to see certain vocations as special or more meaningful 
or more important than others. Uh, we look at those who are in quote-unquote full-time ministry, like pastors and missionaries as those who have received a special calling from God. And I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this. Uh, it was several months ago where we had a missionary uh, up front, and I talked about the special calling that they had in their lives. And Steve Sanford called me out on it, as he should have, because that person has not received a special calling. We have all received a special calling to be witnesses for God. And I apologize to you for creating that dichotomy. That was not right. I'm not the only one here this morning who is in full-time ministry. And it's not just pastors and missionaries who have received a special calling in their lives. My point in saying this is not to bring down pastors and missionaries. It's not to denigrate the pastoral ministry. These things are obviously important. Instead, what we need to do is to elevate the activities that we do from Monday to Saturday. We need a perspective change because what we do during the week is of vital kingdom importance. Think of it this way. Uh, if we think that the only real important activities happen on Sunday or at church, what does that say about the raising of our children? That happens mostly from Monday to Saturday. That is such an important thing. That is such a high calling. Colossians 3 verse 17 says this, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God has created each and every one of us to be a worshiper and to be a witness. This is the calling that we all share to the same degree. He has sent us to different places in life to live out this calling. He has sent me here to be your pastor. He has sent our former pastor to Japan to be a witness there. But he has sent you to offices, to hospitals, to courtrooms, to schools, to stores, to homes, and so many other places to live out his calling in your life as worshipers and as witnesses. What you do during the week is of vital kingdom importance. And as a church, it is our vision to affirm you in your calling, to equip you to be witnesses for Christ, that wherever you are, you can share the glory of God with those who you encounter. Whatever you're doing, as Colossians 3.17 says, you can be an effective witness for Christ. The answer to being a witness does not necessarily lie within the church. It lies with living out the gospel in the context of everyday life, doing what God has called us to do, to engage in relationships with the world around us because the world is in desperate need of the good news of the gospel. You know, college football season started this past week, 
And it would be really easy for me at this point to give one of those locker room speeches that I'm sure a lot of coaches gave, gave this past week to say, all right, you guys are witnesses. Now you just got to go out and do it. Be an effective witness for the gospel. Share the gospel with everybody that you meet. And sometimes that is effective, and sometimes that is necessary. But it isn't always what we need. Because oftentimes, let's be honest, we get frustrated with our witness and our ability to share the gospel. And one of the reasons why is because we see it as a duty. If I were to try to do that every week, to inspire you to do the duty of witnessing, it would become a drain. I would be telling you to muster up the strength from within yourself to be an effective witness. And in reality, I'd be setting you up for failure. We get frustrated with ourselves because we feel like we fail over and over and over again in this area of witnessing for Christ. And when witnessing becomes merely a duty that we perform, we lose heart. We lose the heart of our witness. Because the driving force behind our witness is a heart that has been so completely transformed by the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are completely, so completely captivated by God, making our witness something so natural and so second nature that we don't even have to think about it. If you're a Razorback fan, even though they lost yesterday, you've been talking about the game this morning. And I've heard people talking about it. You don't have to be asked to talk about something that you are excited about. You do it and you come by it naturally. The problem with our witnessing ability is not that we don't know how. That may be part of it, but it's not the main part. The real problem with our witnesses is that we aren't captivated by the good news of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We have given our hearts away to other things. Instead of God being the central thing in our heart, we have given it away to things that we chase after. And as Ecclesiastes says, it's like a chasing after the wind. So one of the reasons that we come together on a Sunday morning, we talked last week about renewing the covenant. We come to be reminded of the gospel and what God has done for us. And I want to remind you of the gospel this morning. I'm going to be using Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where Paul says, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the, air, of the power of the air, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You feel like when you read that verse, you think, you know what, that's me. I feel like that every time that I read it. Because we are sinners. And deep down inside, we know that this is true. We know the conditions of our hearts, the struggles, the frustrations that we have on a daily basis, the shame that we carry. And because of this sin, we know what we truly deserve. But Paul doesn't stop there. 
He goes on, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Despite our sin, God has poured out his love on us. He has shown us great mercy and kindness through his son, Jesus Christ. He has seen our ugliness. He has seen our shame and he has loved us through it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Living as witnesses for Christ has never been easy. It wasn't easy in the early church. It's not easy today. And it would be easy for us to just simply throw up our hands in frustration because of what this world is coming to. But as the late Carl Henry, who was the first editor of Christianity Today and a great theologian, he said the early church didn't say, look at what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into the world. So as we live out the mission of Trinity, what God has called us to as a church, my prayer is this. This is from Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Would you join me, please, in this prayer? Let us pray. Our most gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that we would know you. That we would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depths of you. This love that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. This love that surpasses all knowledge. That honestly, sometimes that we can't even comprehend. Lord, sometimes I think, why would you pour out your love on me? We thank you and we praise you for what you have done. And I pray that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we would live out our calling as worshipers, as witnesses for you, as brothers and sisters, as a community of believers. I pray that you would use us here as your church, as the bride of Christ, for the advancement of your kingdom, that we would multiply you. Lord, use us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.